Why don't you take a seat? Can we thank the band tonight? How good were they? We have a great uh, church music team. Every week, uh, I just I love that they lead us in this, and you don't have to travel too far uh, out of these walls into to other places to know that we have a, a blessed church with with great music team and and just great guys that you know week in week out just just come and bring the presence of God. And I'm so grateful for them and and what they do. But tonight we're going to have a look at the Word of God. For those who I haven't met before, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the staff here, and uh, it's my pleasure tonight to, to be able to share uh, from God's Word. And we are looking at a, a new series, as, as Pastor Phil mentioned, on, on the parables of Jesus, or Jesus' stories, as we've called them. And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at, at something out of, out of Matthew, but I just thought we'd start with looking at parables in general. It's a bit of a weird word, parable. I always think of paradiddle, and my worship team friends will get that. I don't know what it is, but something to do with drumming. Is it your like, pace of your, yeah, no? You can tell me later. I do like the word though, paradiddle, but it's not. They're parables of Jesus. Paradiddles of Jesus would be less helpful. But, you know, they're stories that Jesus told. And, and when we look into this, it's all, they're all through kind of Jesus' ministry and life in, in these moments where he kind of just stops and he tells a story. And the idea of it was not to, because he was a great storyteller, he's not putting his, his children to sleep and, and telling them a story to, to bribe them to go to bed. But he, he's telling these stories for the pure reason to provoke a response out of those that choose to follow him. And so there's these times, often they come out of questions, and, and there's these debates and things that happen, and Jesus pauses, and he tells what's always a very simple story, uh, something that would have been relevant to the people at the time that he was talking to, but always simple, but then always provoking and always powerful. And the idea would be that, that, that they would be challenged by that, that they would understand a little bit more about the teaching of Jesus because of the story. And when we're looking at them, I think there's two important things to, to look at. It, it's what Jesus was trying to say then and there. Who was he talking to? What audience was he, was he talking to? I think it's important to read them as a whole. Uh, often, you know, my, my thing with Scripture is to try and read a little bit and go, that applies to me, and, and run away with that. But with a parable, some, you know, it's really important that we understand the whole story. And, and you know, uh, I do a little bit of, uh, you know, study, and, and one of these lecturers that we have, he always uh, says to us this, that, you know, you've got to find the meaning of what was going on there and then, because a story can never mean what it never meant. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's obvious, that makes sense. And then he's like, well, tell us what this means. And I start telling him what I think it means, and he goes, there's no way it could mean that then. That doesn't even culturally make sense. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's annoying. Uh, the whole My whole life I thought the story was about this. But it, it, we need to understand the context of what Jesus was talking about in the first place, so that we can't take it and make it something that applies to only us today, that Jesus never meant. And so it's really important that any time we're reading the Bible, but particularly with these stories, that we understand that Jesus had an intention and an audience of who he was talking to. And as we read through them, we understand that, and then we can understand. Once we understand what he was saying then, we can understand what he's trying to say to us. Because obviously we live in a very different time. I think if Jesus was telling parables now, there'd be a lot more stuff about social media and other such pop cultures of the time. But back then it's often about farming and money. And so, uh, you know, there's all these parables, but we need to understand that. And so, I don't know, that's something I found really helpful. And as I was kind of reading through this, I thought it would just be good to, to understand that, you know, we, we want to take these things as whole stories and really see what Jesus was saying then, but how that relates to us now. Because these stories have just as much power today as they did back then. But sometimes we need to kind of just understand those first. And so tonight we're going to be uh, looking at Matthew uh, 18, 21 to 35. It's called the parable of the unforgiving debtor. Doesn't that sound exciting? And uh, so, you know, I coined that this. My title for tonight will be this. It's a story about forgiveness. 
that really Jesus tonight is through this parable, he, he's telling a story. Really, ultimately, I'm giving away the end here, so don't shut out for the next 20 minutes or so. You can still listen. But he, he's really talking about forgiveness, and this is a story of forgiveness. And I think in our society today, forgiveness is just as important today as it was back then. But sometimes we don't often want to talk about it because it stirs us up on the inside sometimes. And so this was important to Jesus, so I think it should be important uh, to us as well. And so we're going to read this parable together. It is a little uh, chunk of scripture, so it'll be on the screens, and and we're going to read through that as a whole story, and then have a look at how that might apply today. 21 says this, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No. Seven times, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, can you imagine being the, the, the disciples in this exact moment? Like you've asked Jesus a question, he answers it, and then comes the therefore. I reckon it'd be that moment, like, all right, we're going to school. Here we go, Jesus. Like, therefore, another story. You know, my, my granddad, he loves telling me stories. So if I ask him a question ever, it always goes, well, back in mind, that's how it begins. And I imagine as the therefore comes out, the disciples now realize, particularly Peter, who asked the question, had the courage to ask, but he's now going to be taken to school by Jesus. And it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, children, everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity from him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to follow, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, now you know you're in trouble. I forgave you the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And without even a second for him to answer, the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That is what... My heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You know, powerful story. You know, one of the things I've also noticed about parables is Jesus tends to become a bit of a savage. Like he just lays down the law. He's not like kind of nice about it. And and that is repetitive as well throughout these stories. And so when Jesus does this, he really does mean business. He's not kind of just saying, you know, this is a good idea. But in this, he's saying, this is the same as what will happen to you if you don't forgive people from your heart. Not that you'll be thrown into jail and tortured, but really that you know, God is not going to be impressed with us as, as followers of Christ, that there are consequences for us if we can't forgive. And so tonight I wanted to look at a couple of different angles of, of, of this story. And there's the situation at hand, there's God's response, and then there's always our response. And so we're going to have a look at a couple of these things tonight and see how this kind of plays out for us. And so the first kind of... I want to bring out of this is the situation, and I've titled this Credit Please. 
Uh, you know, in, in our society, often you go to the shops, you go to buy something, and they always say, what account do you want it on? I frequently say credit, please. Uh, you know, just, just I'll worry about it later. Future Ryan will pay for that. And, you know, I've had a, had a credit card since I was way too young, obviously. And so I haven't learned, you know, good management skill, and now I'm better at it now than I used to be. But, you know, this, our society is built on buying things and having things that we can't afford. You know, we, we look now, I went to buy something online the other day and there was this option to buy a jumper and they were like, you can have now and pay later. I'm like, man, now they're doing that for clothes? That's a, that's a dangerous world. So I'd be like, yeah, please, send it all. And we live in this society where just put it on credit, we'll just rack up a bill, we'll just rack up a debt. And it's a real thing. And this guy, you know, I think of the most expensive thing in my life and it would be my house that I don't yet own and that I'm paying off and that I'm, you know, and if the bank came to me tomorrow and said, uh, we'd like the rest of the money for your house, please, I'd be in trouble because uh, I wouldn't be able to pay that. I'd be begging for more time. And, you know, it's not always bad to, to have debt. I'm not saying that you can't have any debt in your life. But we live in a society that says, just have it now and worry about it later. That, that credit, credit, please, just put it on that, just ring up the bill is kind of how we live. I remember being a young high school chaplain and, and working part-time at church and, and part-time at school, and one of the things I discovered very early on in life is, is the school canteen. Kids, is there any young people in here? Who, who likes their school canteen? Who doesn't like the school canteen? Wait till you're paying real prices out there. You'll understand how good the school canteen is. But, you know, I used to frequent the school canteen. And one thing I discovered early is that I could set up an account at the canteen uh, with, with who I used to call Auntie Eileen. She was the lady that ran the Oceanary Senior High School canteen. I used to call her Auntie Eileen. I, I really liked her. And she'd let me take whatever I want, and she wouldn't charge me for it. And I was like, this is awesome. I love the canteen. I could forget my lunch. I go down there. I take what I need. I go. Soon I just stopped worrying about even trying to bring lunch and would just go to the canteen and help myself to whatever goods and services I required and would go out the door. But at the end of my first term of having an account at the canteen, Auntie Eileen comes up to visit me in my office and I'm like, oh, hey, how you going? And she didn't look too happy to see me and she goes, oh, just dropping off your account for the, for the term. And I was like, account? She's like, yeah, you know, all that stuff you've had all term, all the chalk milks and, you know, all the hamburgers and stuff that you, you've eaten, you, you, there's your account. And I got it and I looked at it and I instantly felt sick which I already should have felt from the amount of chalk milks and hamburgers and like <laughs> cheese sausages that I'd eaten all term, but really I just felt sick because I had a massive bill at the school canteen that I then had to pay on my part-time kind of salary. And soon I learned that the, the account was not a good thing. And I had racked up this huge debt that I then had to go and pay. Fortunately, she was nice, and I kind of, what I ended up doing, to be honest, was just working in the canteen and working it off. So every recess I'd serve kids, got real good at mental maths, I could add up a sausage, um, sausage roll and a chocolate milk real quick. Um, and then my role fast became breaking up fights outside the school canteen. So fights would, and they're like, go on. I'm like, oh. You pay that debt. I'm like, sorry. You know? <laughs> and so I turned it around and I, and I, and I kind of worked off my debt. And, and Jesus is getting at this point that really we all have debt with Christ. And the debt is the things that we've done wrong that separate us from Christ. That when we're not in relationship with Christ, you know, the, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That the, the wages of our actions actually lead to separation from Christ and, and death. With a price that we could never pay back, with an account that's not on chalk milks, but really is, is on sin and separation from Christ. And what they're getting at in this story is that we can never afford to pay that back. It's a debt that we can never achieve on our own. But Christ in his grace and mercy has looked and gone, you know what? I see your situation. I see that there's debt. I see that you can't pay it back. You can't just declare bankruptcy and start again. What I'll do is here is I'll forgive you. He sees our situation. He realises that we can't pay it back. You know, this, this story, it talks about, you know, the, 
the, the unit of currency is the, is the largest unit of currency in the day that Jesus uses in this story. So it just says millions of dollars. I feel like it doesn't do it justice in our society. Like, this is the whole credit thing. Like, you just see millions of dollars. You're like, yeah, whatever. You know, Australia's in debt, like, billions of, yeah, whatever. Like, it's just, a, it's just a figure. But Jesus has gone to the most extreme high unit of currency and then the highest amount, like, the highest number in the Greek numerical system. So what he's saying is this is the biggest debt you could possibly ever have. Like this guy owes more money than the largest amount of money that you could possibly think of. So whatever that for you is. For me, it's a trillion dollars. I think it's a Simpsons reference, the trillion dollar note. Uh, you know, it's, it's just the biggest amount of money that I can think of. That's what it would be. The greatest unit of money is what Jesus is talking about in this scenario. The debt is unpayable. We've racked up a debt that we cannot pay back. But God's response in all of this is what? That your money is no good here. That like me with the school canteen, there's no working it off with Jesus. There's no going and breaking up. There's no many fights you can break up in the canteen. There's no many good things you can do. There's, there's no many people that you can tell about Jesus. There's no good things that you can do to buy back your debt. We're just stuck with it. But Jesus goes, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll let it go. Out you go. Don't worry about it. I've got you covered. No more separation. We're here. And I love that Jesus tells his story so simply in a day where... So many of the religious people at the time were caught up on what they were doing, weren't they? Got to keep this, got to do this, got to get this right. In fact, their biggest problem with Jesus was the fact that he kind of just didn't kind of do everything the way they did it. He was different because he was coming to change the game. And they were getting upset because Jesus was not politically correct all the time. And they missed it because of the steps that they had to do all the time. They had to fulfill this and be this. And God soon realises that you can't, there's nothing good we can do to get that back. And so simply, he just changes the game by saying, actually, you can't earn it back. This is no good here. Just accept it, and I'll let you go. Just like the king with his guy that owes him millions of dollars. Just go. Imagine being that guy. How stoked would you be if you were like, oh, I've got to pay back millions of dollars, and then someone says, don't worry about it. It's on me. Just go. I'd be like parading through the streets, like celebrating. It'd be awesome. Debt-free. Probably go get another credit card and start again. No, I wouldn't really. But you know, like, you'd just be so filled with joy would be my picture. Yet the guy's response is not actually that. He actually goes out and he's probably really stoked. He's probably celebrating. But then he sees someone else that owes him money. And this is like nothing compared to what he owed. In fact, they're saying that it's such a small debt. It was about 100 days wages, which is actually quite a lot. But it was one six hundredth of the first debt. One six hundredth of what he had just been let off. And he goes and he throws the guy in prison over it and has him tortured until he can repay the debt. Instead of being joyous and generous with forgiveness and gracious and extending the same grace that he had given to him to someone else, he in fact did the opposite and harshly dealt with someone that had a debt with him. You know, as Christians sometimes, and I find in my own life, I can suddenly forget what debt I had before. I can very quickly forget what my life was like without Jesus. I can very quickly forget all the things that were in my life and the huge debt that I had. And then when someone wrongs me, I can very quickly Look at that, not through the eyes that Jesus looked at me, but hey, you offended me. How many times am I going to let you do this to me? How many times uh, am I going to let someone else wrong me before I get it right? And my intention is sometimes, if I'm honest, when someone wrongs me is that I want to make it right, that I want to, I want to get them back or I want, to, I want to get even. But in this parable, Jesus doesn't say an eye for an eye or, you know, if someone wrongs you, he says, you know what, actually you've got to let it go. And, and it says that, you know, if you don't, the same will happen to you as what happened in this story. 
And I think what that is, is that when we harbour like, unforgiveness in our heart, that when we can't forgive, that when we can't let go when someone wrongs us, it actually does torture us. Because I don't know if you've met anyone before that kind of is, is got unforgiveness in their heart and it comes out like, over and over again. One of the places you see this is on social media sometimes when people just constantly like are at people and offended. and hurt. Like, You don't really want to read their stuff or you don't want to talk to someone who, who's bitter like that because it's just what comes out. And what I think is it's actually worse for them than it is for the person they're not forgiving. The person they haven't let go is probably just moved on and, and living life. And they're still thinking about it and twisted up. And when it talks about being you know, thrown in jail and tortured, that's kind of how I feel like unforgiveness lands in our heart sometimes. That we end up in this place where it actually tortures us more than it tortures anyone else. Because we haven't been able to let it go and forgive. You can't work it back. You can't make someone earn your forgiveness. You know, it said, I don't know who said this quote, but I I love it. It says that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That we just shew on it and shew on it and we want to make it right and we want to get back even and it ends up killing us on the inside more than it does anything to anyone else. We've got to be able to let the debt go just like Jesus let us go. And we've got to remember that sometimes the debt that Jesus let go for us is far greater than the little thing that someone offended us with. You know, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. That there's no, there's no end to that. It's an infinite number. you just got to keep forgiving and keep letting go when someone hurts you. You know, it leads to, to our response, and, I, and, I, and I've titled this Generous Forgiveness. You know, I feel pretty lucky in life. I have some pretty generous friends, like in general. Heglin's one of those generous friends, actually. But I'm surrounded by generous friends. But I remember growing up, uh, one time we, a bunch of us went out to dinner, and I can't remember who, who was there. I wish I could, because I'd probably go and, and see them. Uh, no, but we went out to dinner. And you know, like in the, these situations where restaurants won't split bills still in this day and age, they're like, you have to put all your cash into the middle, and you have to take it. And I find in these scenarios, you have a few different kinds of, of, of friends. Uh, suddenly, you learn a lot about your friends in this scenario and there's the kind of person that's like oh, I forgot my wallet sorry uh, could you cover me this time there, there's the kind of friend who who's like oh I didn't eat anything so so I'm all good uh, you get this one I'll get the next one and then they never get the next one then there's the person that's like with the calculator and they're like my bill was $18.36 uh, so there it is um, it's all what you know. I didn't have any extras, so there it is. And so th- those persons sometimes are like worse than the the kind of lame friend that doesn't have their wallet, because at least you know kind of with the other friend what you're getting, and they're like adding it up. And but this one day, I remember like we went out to this dinner, and it was awesome. We'd had this great night, and I thought, oh, you know, I'll be the good guy. I'll collect the cash. And there's always that person that's got to collect the cash. And at this point, you collect the cash, and you see a few people kind of darting out, and you're like, cool, maybe they have to go somewhere. And I remember with one of my other friends, we went to the counter, and we weren't earning a lot of money, we were working full-time, we were like, oh, pardon. And it was like 160, I still remember this, it was $168 short on the tab. And I turn around, and there's like barely anyone left, but I, like, I was like, I'm going to find these people. And so I'm like, hey, man, how much did you spend? And they're like, no, no, I put in extra. And so, it's like, so between two of us, we had to cover $168 of like unpaid bills. That is not generous. They were bad friends. I don't hang out with them anymore. Uh, but in that scenario, there's nothing worse than that sinking feeling, is it? That you know, you're not with people that are generous. You're not with people that kind of pay more than, and, and are generous with what they have or that would you know, invest a little bit extra or make sure it's covered. It's that stingy nature, isn't it, that kind of makes you feel a bit uncomfortable in life? Well, for me, it does. And I think God calls us to generous forgiveness. 
not to kind of add up kind of where we've been wronged or where someone's upset us and go, well, here's how we'll kind of, here's how we'll split the bill, here's how we'll fix it, here's, but just to go, actually, every time, I'm just going to forgive. You know, the start of this story, as I was reading, when Peter says seven times, actually, what I've learned is that three times was actually the cultural kind of normal. Like, if someone wronged you uh, personally three times, you'd have to kind of forgive them till the third time. On the fourth time, it was culturally acceptable to kind of go, you know what, gallows, no more forgiveness. And so Peter, by saying seven times, is like trying to prove something about generosity to Jesus. Like, how many times, Jesus, do I have to forgive? He knows. He's educated in the Bible and in the culture of the day. So he knows it's three. So he's like, hey, Jesus, what about seven? <laughs> Knowing that Jesus always pushes us for a little bit more, doesn't he? He always pushes us to go that extra mile, to, to do that little bit more, that, that there was all the law and all that there that they followed. And Jesus never really reduced that. He always kind of just increased it, didn't he? He always kind of made it a little bit harder. Like, you know, it says don't murder, but if you even think about killing, you know, he really takes things to another level. And so Peter takes it straight to another level. How many times, Jesus? Seven? Look at me, I'm super generous. Jesus is like, no, nah, actually, therefore, we're going to school, right? And he takes him there and he takes him to a place that is unfamiliar, to a place where actually generous forgiveness is what takes place. You know, we sang that song just a, a minute ago, and I love that song, Here is in Heaven, and it talks about the Spirit of God being here. And you know what? One of the things that stands out to me says the evidence of the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence of the Spirit of the Lord is not found in, in lights and, and haze and, and keys and nice music. Whilst all of that is good and it, and it leads us to a place. The evidence of the Spirit of the Lord, I believe, is out of our relationship with Christ and how we act. And when we're stingy with our forgiveness, that's not evidence of the Spirit of the Lord being somewhere. It's actually the opposite. We actually become the second guy in the story who's like, hey, pay up. And we end up away. The evidence of the Spirit of the Lord would be that if it's followers of Christ, we were the first always to forgive. That if we were the last to judge someone. That people felt like the church wasn't out to get them. And these are things you hear all the time. Ah, the church is just there to judge. They don't, they don't understand. Christians, are, they, just, they think they're better than everybody else. But if we truly lived a life of forgiveness, generous forgiveness, and hey, it doesn't take away the fact that sometimes people wrong us and it actually hurts. You know, the, the original guy did have a debt. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't just superficial, like, hey, just do whatever you want. He actually had a physical debt there. He'd done wrong in that scenario and had to pay it back. We've all done things there, and there's things that are going to come against us. But the Bible calls us to generous forgiveness. You know, one of the things even out of this song that kind of has been impressed on my heart recently is that that line, here as in heaven, you know, it's a, it's a line out of the, the Lord's Prayer, where it says in, in Matthew 6.10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I love this. It says, Give us today our daily bread. And verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You must believe that Jesus is actually referencing in this parable. He's referencing this prayer. This is how we should pray. This is what we should believe for. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And I love these phrases. Your will be done on earth, what? As it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts, what? As also we forgive our debtors. They're one, and, they're one and the same. God forgives us what? Not just there, that, that's the end of the sentence, full stop. As we forgive those who wrong us, that have debt with us. And so tonight I might just invite the, the team to come back up. And we're going to sing that song again in a, in a moment and just, just have a, a moment between our, 
each of us as individuals and, and Jesus. And I just wonder tonight if there's a, there's a couple of people I'd love to pray for, just as we wrap up. And so firstly, I, I just really felt today as I, was, as I was praying again, just to, maybe we just close our eyes for a second. That, that I'd love to just give an opportunity tonight for, for some people to kind of make their life right with Jesus. That maybe you kind of feel like you're, you're not in that place where, where Christ is in control of your life. Maybe you, you've carried the, the, the weight of, of your sin and, and who you are and your separation from God and you haven't made that right. No one here is here to judge you tonight. That's kind of between you and God. But I believe that tonight God would say, hey, he wants to absorb that. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to make you pay it back. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try and be good. It's not, not about that. But actually, it's about just handing your life and control of your life and your actions over to Christ. And again, not actually being perfect, but actually saying, you know what? I want to follow you. The disciples that Jesus is telling this story to are just doing their best to follow Jesus. And he's just teaching them as he goes. And that's what it's about. And so tonight, if that's you, I would just love to pray for you. If you're like, tonight I haven't given my life to Christ. Well, now's your opportunity. And I would love to just pray for you and give you that chance in your heart to go, you know what, God, forgive me for living a life that's separate from you. And give him the opportunity to have control of your life, to forgive your debts and to change your life. So just by way of... Knowing who to pray for, I just would love it if you could just, if that's you tonight, you just want to raise your hand just so I can see who, who that is. That's awesome. Once you put it up, you can just put, you can put that down again. It's just so I can pray for you. Is there anyone else tonight quickly that I can pray for? That's awesome. That's great. God's grace is so good. Just lastly, is there anyone else that wants to make that call tonight? Say, I want to live my life for Christ. That's awesome. Incredible. God, I thank you for every hand that was raised, every hand that's still kind of going up in this moment now, God. The people are deciding in this moment to go, you know what, I want to get my life right with you. I need your forgiveness. I want to follow you, Jesus. I pray in this moment that they'd understand that you are real, God. That they would understand that you forgive all our debts, no matter how large or insignificant they seem. And God, I pray that they would know the reality of you in their life tonight. Thank you, God. Thank you that you love us. Amen. And secondly, while we're kind of in this space as well, I really believe that there's some of us here that kind of probably fit into that second category of person a little bit, that we understand the grace and the forgiveness of God. And if I'm honest, sometimes I found myself in this place as well. But when it's come to others, I've been slow to release that same grace to them, that forgiveness to them. When people have done the wrong thing by me, I've, 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 I've held on to that. But God calls us to generous forgiveness. And so tonight I might wonder if there's someone else tonight that would say, you know what, I need to forgive someone tonight. There's things inside my heart that I need to let go. This week I was just reading a story of a, a lady who, who lost her son to another guy at a party. They got into conflict and this one kid shot her son. And he went to jail for that. And she, after 12 years, decided she needed to go and visit him because she didn't really understand what had happened, what the conflict was about, just that it had happened and he'd gone to jail. So she went to visit him. And she said as she was talking to him, she realised that she needed to forgive him. 
And it's this powerful quote. It says, instantly I knew that the hatred, anger and animosity I had in my heart for 12 years was over. That for 12 years this lady had carried this anger and hatred in her heart and really all it was was torturing her. And the story goes on to, to tell us that now she refers to that other young man as her own son. He's now out of jail. They're next door neighbours in an apartment complex. And what she has gained in through the loss of her son can never be given back, but she's gained a new son. The forgiveness that was extended to that young man said it's changed my entire life. Every time I think about the fact that she has forgiven me, it reminds me not to do wrong. It reminds me that I need to keep my life straight, that I need to do the right thing. And the power of forgiveness started just with her. She just needed to clean that up in her own life. But amazing how it changed the life of someone else. When she had the right to be hurt, she had the right to be angry, she, you, no one would condemn her for feeling those things. Yet the power of forgiveness changed her whole life and changed someone else's. And tonight I wonder as followers of Christ, if we extended generous forgiveness to those around us, to those who genuinely do the wrong thing by us sometimes, that hurt our feelings, that offend us with, their, with the way they live their life towards us and others, if not only would it change something on the inside of us when we remember how much God has given to us, but I wonder if it might change someone else's life as well as we live the way Christ calls us to. And so tonight I wonder, just in response as well, if there's someone here, I'd just love to pray for you. If you say, you know what, I've been harboring unforgiveness in my heart. It's in there like I've drunk poison and it's, it needs to go. This parable so clearly states how we just need to let go of that and forgive the way Jesus has forgiven us. I'd love to just pray for you as well. So if that's you, I'd love it if you just, again, just by response to know who to pray for. If you can just raise your hand. No one else is looking around again but me. And I just want to see who that is so I can pray. Is there anyone tonight in the last few moments that we have to say, you know what, I just want to pray for you. That's awesome. Once you've, you put your hand up, you can put it down again. It's just a response between you and God. God, I thank you again for, for every hand raised in this place, for every person that's recognised the need to, to extend forgiveness, Lord. I pray that you would give them the courage to do that. Lord, in this moment, I pray that they would realise how you have forgiven them, how much you love them, how much you have changed the course of their life, that you have set them free and placed them in relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would help them extend forgiveness where it needs to be forgiven, Lord. Lord, where there's hurt inside, God, I pray that that pain would go, just like the story of that lady, that it would leave straight away, that her offence and pain would go and be replaced by love and forgiveness, Lord. God, I pray that as people who follow you, that the evidence of the Spirit of the Lord being real would be found in how we forgive others generously, how we respond to those who don't live for you, how we respond to those that hurt us, God. May it show who you are. God, we thank you that you are so gracious and that you love us. Why don't we stand to our feet tonight? We're just going to sing this song, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. You know, I just believe in this place.